Wonderful. Yeah, my wife and I, this last week, we are, most of you know this, some of you know this, we're part of a network of churches, sort of an upstart net, network of churches, and so we were in Canada this last week uh, doing some work up there in Vancouver with this network of churches that we're a part of, and on our way through, we decided to, we flew into Seattle instead and, and spent the night there where we were for 11 years, and of course, on that day, it was like sunny, like gorgeous and beautiful, and I was walking around the city like, you are lying to me. <laughs> liar. And then it rained in Vancouver, and now it's raining in San Diego. So beautiful. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Dan, and I'm uh, one of the lead pastors here. My wife and I, Alexis, are planting this church alongside all of you. We're doing it together, and 2023 is a really big year for us. And so just a couple quick announcements, and then we'll get our scriptures read and get into our teaching for the day. It's really going to be a great first quarter for 2023. I really I'm stoked on where the Spirit is taking us this year. So if you want to make Neighbors Church your home, this is a big year for us. This is the year that we're trying to become fully self-supporting, fully sustained, and the budget is continuing to just incrementally climb up. And so we're going to have a lot of needs. And if this is your family, we like to talk about contributing to the family budget so we can pay rent and pay staff and continue to serve you well and serve our city well and raise up disciples for Jesus. You can go to sdneighbors.church slash give, sdneighbors.church slash give. And there you can set up a, a giving recurring giving account, uh, which is really helpful for us. Most of you know that we're heading for the book of Ecclesiastes today, and next week are the two final sort of roadmap sessions, and then we're going to be in Ecclesiastes for anywhere between four to six months. We're going to verse by verse, chapter by chapter, sit at the feet of one of the group. One of, the, one of the most intense cynics of history, and uh, allow him to speak to our souls about the reality of who God is and who we are in him. Exciting news for Neighbors Kids. Shelby and the crew are going to be launching a nursery towards the beginning of February. Yes, that's a big deal. So really, really fun. Uh, as our church just continues to grow, we're praying again for piles and piles of babies. We love babies want to just continue to uh, not make an idol of marriage and family, but in the day and age in which we live, we want to celebrate. We really do want to celebrate. And as a spiritual family, our hope and expectation is that if you're single or uh, in a space where you have more time, that you would be serving the families uh, with babies, serving in neighbors' kids. It's a great way to continue to move the kingdom forward. And then a final announcement for this morning, which I'm really exciting about, excited about, Starting the last month, or the last, excuse me, the last Sunday of every month. So every Sunday we meet here at 9.15 for what we call pre-gathering prayer. Everybody's invited. It's a time for you to come, listen to the Spirit, intercede for what's going to be happening in this room on Sunday morning and in our community. Really a beautiful time. We invite everybody to that. But specifically, the last Sunday of every month, we are going to engineer our pre-gathering prayer time around a missional, missionary, ministry focus. We're calling it the SEND Prayer Gathering. Aaron Huff, who's a young MDiv student here at our church, is going to be leading that. If you find yourself wondering about mission, overseas mission, justice initiatives here in the city, or if you feel this inkling of what would it look like for me to serve as a minister of the gospel of Jesus? What would it look like for me to be, quote-unquote, in ministry, then this prayer gathering is for you. It is for you to come and pray and discern your calling 
and be sent out. We are praying to be a global missionary movement. We want to be like the old school church where we're sending missionaries and you've got their pictures up on the wall and you're praying for them. And that includes all of us. Every single one of us are called to be missionaries in our workplaces, called to be missionaries in our places of education, in our places of recreation. Every single one of us are ministers of the gospel. And so the last Sunday of every month, I would really encourage you, if you don't come to pre-gathering prayer regularly, make the last Sunday of every month an intentional time. We're going to start it at 9 o'clock. Aaron will be giving a little devotional and then guiding us through this process of praying in discernment. Lord, what this week are you sending me to as a missionary, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus, as a servant of this world? And as well, we hope to be sending people out from that. We're just trying to discern this year, Spirit, where do you want us to multiply the gospel? How do you want us to move forward in the world? With all that said, I'm going to bring up my daughter, Nyla. Yes, Nyla's doing the reading this morning. Let's all stand. Nyla always gets applause when she reads. It must be nice to just be able to get up and stand up and then everybody applauds for you. Yeah, Micah gets applause too, she says. Okay. All right. Um, we're going to be reading from Genesis and Hebrews. Uh, I'm reading from my phone, so don't do that. If you have a book to bring, bring a Bible. Um, it's going to be Genesis 1:27 and through 2:3. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said to them, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every beast of the earth and the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And Hebrews 4:11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's grab our seats. So we've smiled at one another, we've sung. And now, in the history of the Protestant communities, the sermon, a time to just commune with God by the Spirit. And so I would invite you to close your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit, speak to me today. Speak, Lord, your servants here. This morning, as we open your word, Holy Father, we ask to become a community whose way of being is rest and whose way of doing is resilience. Speak into the deeps of every one of us and establish this year as a new year, a year of transformation, a year of hope, a year of strength, not by our own resolve or our own grit, but by surrender to the Holy Spirit and by resting in this infinite and unconditional love 
that you have for us. Allow now your holy people to respond to you in obedience, to cease work, and to step into that for which we were created, loving relationship with you. You care for each of us so infinitely. So speak to us. Guide them and direct them. Open our hearts. In Jesus' name. All of God's people said, amen. So the doctor sat back in his chair. He was done examining me, and he had this sort of suspicious look on his face. And I could not believe what he asked me. Have you been monogamous? I was beside myself. I was utterly shocked. I was in his office because I had broken out in these horrific sores above my belt line and all the way down below my belt line. These wounds, and they were terribly painful, burning, little spots all over the place. And he was fishing around to see if I might have contracted something from, you know, illicit activity. And I just couldn't even believe that he was asking me that. I, was, I, 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 I just stumbled over my words. What? Have I been monogamous? Yes, I've been monogamous. I've been happily married. I love my wife. What are you asking me this for? And it set him back a little bit as well. And he thought for a moment and he said, well, I've got it. It's very rare for somebody your age to be experiencing this bad of a breakout, but it looks like you've got a gnarly case of shingles. I was 35 years old at the time. And he said, do, do, you, do you have a stressful job? <laughs> to which I responded, yeah, I, I'm kind of working a lot of hours right now, and there's been a little bit of strife. But what was behind my short summary answer to his question was about five years of a very steep learning curve of a very inexperienced young pastor taking over a very difficult situation in a church in Seattle. And I had unintentionally stepped on every unforeseen relational landmine you can imagine, and it was all culminating around 2012, my 35th year of life. I was attending meetings like you would not believe, and those meetings were volatile. The cracks and fissures that had been in this community for decades were now bearing their ugly teeth, and the church was really coming apart at the seams. And so I found myself putting my head down and going to work harder than I had ever worked in my entire life, occasionally coming up for air saying, Jesus, I trust you, and in Jesus' name, please help, and then getting right back to work, full of anxiety, full of strife, full of stress, and it was beginning to take its toll on my physical body. Just prior to this doctor's meeting, I'd been laying on a dentist's table, and the dentist had asked me, do you have a stressful job? And I, I was like, yeah, it's kind of stressful right now. I'm working a lot. Why? The acid reflux is so bad that it's eating the molars out of the back of your head. <laughs> he had to take and peel away my gums and put this stuff over my molars to protect my body from my own stomach acids. <laughs> and so there I was, overwhelmed, physically breaking down because my spiritual immaturity and my inability to trust Jesus was beginning to bear its teeth in my physical being. And so there was this agonizingly long stretch, it felt like a decade in Seattle, of very hard and very confusing times. My teeth being eaten out by my own stomach acid. What I now know was paralyzing clinical depression without question. 
I had grown into these deeply entrenched roots of bitterness. Deconstruction, my deconstruction, folks, was at hurricane force, and I was leading the church in the midst of my falling apart. Spiritual disorientation, and then finally the shingles break out across my body. That's what it took for me to finally stop, to finally stop. In 2013, after that year of 2012, my elders graciously sent my wife and I on a three-month sabbatical, and they hired a spiritual director slash therapist to guide us through that time. And Rich gave us one primary task. Every session I had with him would end with this, rest. The exact opposite of what I think I needed to be doing. To save the church, to save Christianity, to save ministry, to save my own soul. The exact opposite. Every session, Rich would say, Dan, I want you to relax, and I want you to take a nap. And it took three months of learning how to sleep again and intensive therapy and ceasing from absolutely everything for me to finally begin to realize I had lost my identity, I was losing my sanity, and I was deforming my humanity. And that sabbatical, folks, in 2013 radically changed every single thing about me. If you meet folks that come up or come down to San Diego from Seattle that were there from the very beginning, 2007 Dan to 2017 Dan, when that church sent us, pre-sabbatical Dan, post-sabbatical Dan, they would actually talk about, oh, you never met pre-sabbatical Dan. Post-sabbatical Dan, zen. That guy's chill. He's good. Pre-sabbatical Dan, a little bit intense. (laughs) Now, I'm not trying to be dramatic this morning, but I do want to make the point for every single one of you. That sabbatical not only saved my Christianity because I was ready to leave the faith, not only saved our ministry in Seattle and has us here before you today, that sabbatical, I think, physically may have saved my life. I'm not exaggerating. Now, most of you, I recognize, will never have the opportunity to take three months off and have some spiritual director tell you to take a nap every single day, unless you're in the professorial or the communicating or the, the education spaces where those things are a little more normative. But I can tell you this, your father knows what you need right now, and he has given you everything that is necessary for what Jesus called the abundant life. I bring all this up to remind you guys that through 2023 here at Neighbors, we see two forces that are bringing the modern community of Jesus, maybe you this morning, right to where I was, to the brink. Exhaustion and cynicism. Exhaustion and cynicism. Spiritual exhaustion was physically breaking me. And it was creating this sort of acidic, caustic cynicism in my soul. And the answer to that exhaustion and cynicism was rest. Rest restored my humanity. Rest restored my identity, my sanity. Rest created this resilience, not based on my own strength, but on the power of the Holy Spirit and in surrender to God's love. Rest transformed me into a person of love. And so this year as a church community, We are swimming in a culture of exhaustion and cynicism, and we intend to posture ourselves in two ways to counterform these forces of exhaustion and cynicism. Rest is a way of being. Resilience is a way of doing. That's our twofold approach to this year, becoming a people whose posture is rest as a way of being, resilience as a way of doing. Now, today, we're just priming the pub for some training that we're going to do in March on the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath. Sabbath is the Hebrew word taken from the Hebrew idea of Shabbat. Ceasing is the literal translation. Ceasing, Sabbathing. 
The biblical record gives to us a 24-hour period where God's people collectively stop, rest, delight, and contemplate God every seventh day. Cease, Sabbath, Shabbat, rest. In March, this is the priming of the pump session this morning. In March, we are inviting all of our community groups and anybody and everyone that you want to invite, anyone that's here this morning, from 6.30 to 8.30, we're probably going to be meeting downtown, and we're going to launch into a four-week training module on the discussions of Sabbath. How to do Sabbath, what is Sabbath. We're using John Mark Comer's material from Practicing the Way, and we're going to be rolling out all of those practices over the next three years, nine of them specifically, starting with Sabbath. Now, To thwart cynicism, coinciding with our practice of Sabbath, rest is a way of being, we're going to sit at the feet of who I have considered or come to consider one of the greatest cynics of all times, a man named Koheleth. Can you all say Koheleth? Koheleth. Koheleth is the Hebrew word that translates roughly the assembler or the teacher. And the book of Ecclesiastes begins with the words of Koheleth. Koheleth was, he, he, he was the modern day you and I, actually. He had it all. Koheleth had done it all. He had discovered in all of his having and all of his doing that it was all what he called Havel. It was all just smoke. It was all just vapor. It was all just this meaningless pursuit of nothing. And he was bitter about it. And so, as I've been meditating in Koheleth, in Ecclesiastes, what I've discovered is that Koheleth serves as a sort of mascot for the late modern Western urbanite. (laughs) We have all the wealth, we have all the wine, we have all the pubs, the coffee, the restaurants, we have all the sexual liberation we could ever want. And represented in this room, for most of us, we have all the cultural power. We have what we want, but we're still looking for more. And so we may not think daily about our lives, purposes, and pursuits, but what Koheleth forces us to do is he, he, he calls our bluff on what we're doing. He forces our hand. He makes us face this, this hevel, this vapor, this meaningless grasping. And he unapologetically asks us for the next four to six months, why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we exhausting ourselves to the point of bitterness and frustration? What is the point of this? But this is really important as we begin Ecclesiastes next week. Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes has two figures. You have Koheleth, the cynic, but then you have the actual author of the book of Ecclesiastes. And the author, if Koheleth is our mascot, the author is our mentor. Koheleth gives voice to the late modern urbanite who has it all and has everything but still finds it to be hevel. Occasionally, our mentor, the author's voice, he steps in and he says, let's pause here. Let's pause during Koheleth's cynical rant and let's orient ourselves around truth, around real value. And what we'll discover is that our mascot gives voice to what we're all saying. What's the point of this? Why am I doing this? It's all going to go to smoke anyway. And our mentor steps in. The author will occasionally step in. and He will say, the only way to find true meaning in life is to obey God, love him, and love the life that you've been given. Four to six months of that over and over and over. And in that meditation, we believe that God will begin to, from rest, raise up a community of joyful, meaningful, unwaveringly resilient people who aren't cynical but are resilient in this day and age of acidic cynicism. Now, final thing that I want to say here before we get to our actual teaching this morning. Remember, these are just roadmap sessions. These Sunday sessions are specifically designed for the people that you're interacting with this week. Maybe you were invited here today. Welcome. 
These sessions are for you, whether you're a believer or not. We want all to be able to come and hear and think about how Koheleth, think about how the mentor, think about how our worldviews are formed. The frustration of Koheleth and the frustration of our friends and neighbors are the exact same. The exhaustion that we all feel, we're all feeling together collectively as a society. And so I would encourage you this morning, may love compel you right now. May somebody be brought to your mind. I'm supposed to invite this person to come and sit at the feet of Koheleth, to come and sit at the feet of the mentor, to come and sit at the feet of Jesus, to learn rest as a way of being, resilience as a way of doing. That vibes with everybody. That's super vibey, whether you're a believer or not. Super vibey. Okay, for this morning's session, priming the pump for Sabbath. We all ready to rock and roll? You guys want to get super nerdy with some Hebrew stuff here in the book of Genesis? Love you guys. Let's do this. Genesis, from which our beautiful Nyla read for us this morning. Genesis establishes Sabbath. Genesis establishes ceasing, ceasing Shabbat, rest, Genesis establishes celebrating and rest at the very center of the universe and human existence. Let's talk about the Bible here for just a brief moment. Never forget, the Bible is an extremely sophisticated piece of literature. Never hold that sort of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, in that we think we're so smart because we're moderns. The authors of the Bible were absolutely brilliant beyond any tweets and blog writers that you're reading right now. This is a very sophisticated piece of literature, and it's a sophisticated piece of literature from Eastern culture. We are Western. We think very linear, linearly. Is that a word? Linearly? Linear, whatever. You guys know what I mean. We think successively in order. Easterners, the Eastern mind frame is very different. It, it, it just thinks in pictures. It thinks in poems. Genesis, dearly beloved, I'm glad to sit down and have coffee. I have wrestled with this forever since I became a Christian. I was a geology major before I became a Christian. Genesis is not giving us scientific details about how the universe came to be. It's just not. We are asking the wrong questions of Genesis when we say, was it six literal days? Genesis, in an Eastern meditation literature way, is telling us about why the universe exists and what's at the center of the why the universe exists. When we read Genesis as an ancient Eastern meditative Hebrew, we ask different questions and we discover that rest is at the center of reality. Rest, Shabbat, ceasing, celebrating, it is at the center of reality. Now, getting super nerdy here, but important. The Hebrew scriptures, they use numbers and poetic images and patterns, very specific patterns to emphasize and make their points. So the way that these texts are structured in scrolls, they're structured in such a way that line one will parallel with line three. Line three will parallel with line five. Hebrew parallelism, it's a form of ancient poetry. It's really more like art than it is literature in the way that we think of literature. It's absolutely phenomenal. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, is a set of patterns, a set of parallels, where the text is written in a certain way to point to the middle. This is what we call in Hebrew technical terms a chiasm. Can you all say chiasm? You sound so smart this morning. Hebrew scholars, all of you. A chiasm. 
The Bible is full of chiasms, these poetic, artistic pieces where the Hebrew authors were not only telling the story in a linear fashion, they were telling the story in an artistic way to create these emphasized points, and you find these treasures in these chiasms. At the center, everybody track with me? I just, I do not want to lose you guys. Track with me. Real Bible teaching this morning. Genesis chapter 1, at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 2, 3, in the center of that, is this idea of rest or ceasing or celebrating. Um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. God said, this is the center of this chiasm. Everybody tracking with that? This is the center verse. And at the very center of that verse is this idea. God said, let there be lights. This is on the fourth day. Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, days and years. You see, I underlined there, sacred times. That sacred times, that word is at the very center of this chiasm, this poetic picture that's making this point. That English, we translate this English word sacred times. It's a specific Hebrew Bible word that refers to later on in the Bible. It's translating ideas around festival times or designated seasons of times where people were to stop work, rejoice, and rest. What the Hebrew Bible is telling us here in Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 is at the center of creation and reality is sacred time set apart to celebrate no rest in God. Now, here's what's really amazing. As the poem and pattern ends in Genesis chapter 2 verse 3, this is the end of the chiasm. Rather than the pattern being beautiful and symmetrical, God like a sore thumb makes it stick out that he creates these Adams, these dirt clods in whom he breathes life, Adam and Eve, and it sticks out from the rest, the rest of the poetry. And so the, the passage emphasizes human value at the end of this chiasm, at the end of this image, the passage is emphasizing, here are humans, I have created them, and they are valuable to me, not for what they're going to do, but simply because I made them. Our mere existence as image bearers means we have immeasurable worth in the universe. Your worth is not based on what you do or have done or have not done. Your worth is based on the fact that you are a dirt clod in whom God has breathed life for his glory. You are his image bearer. Your mere existence makes angels shout with joy to the creator of the universe. This is the root and the foundation of human identity. So the first humans... Adam and Eve, the very first thing that they experience when they come into consciousness, the very first thing that they get to experience as newly created beings isn't go and do, it's rest. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God creates mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he creates them. Male and female, he creates them. And then we get to the seventh day. I'll read it for us again. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed that seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of the creating he had done. Really important note here, if you're tracking with all of this. As you go through Genesis 1... Each of the six days end with, it was evening and morning. It was evening and morning. It was evening and morning. The seventh day, there's no little tagline, it was evening and morning. The Hebrew authors, in a very sophisticated way, are saying, the seventh day into which Adam and Eve, the image bearers, whose worth is not in what they're doing, but just to enter into God's rest, the seventh day never ends. It's forever. It's an eternal seventh day of rest. Old Testament scholar Michael Morales he argues that we cannot fully grasp the significance of who we are on the sixth day if we don't see it in light of the seventh day of rest. He proposes this. It'll be up on the screens for you. 
The extensive description of humanity's creation on the sixth day is primarily for the sake of understanding the prospect of communion with God on the seventh day. As the crown of creation, humanity is made in the image and likeness of God the creator. No doubt this status entitles Adam, Adam, that's the Hebrew word Adam, male and female to rule and subdue the rest of creation. But the primary blessing of being created in God's image is in order to have fellowship with the creator in a way that other creatures cannot. In other words, the capstone of creation, friends, is humans at rest in God's love. That's the end of it. The meaning of the universe, the ultimate purpose of your life is to live in eternal Sabbath rest communion with God's goodness and God's love. That's what you were designed for. That's why you exist. We exist to be loved. You exist to be loved. Rest is to be our way of being. Now, so important. It is crucial here that we don't misunderstand rest. I need to emphasize what we mean by rest as a way of being because we have it twisted in our minds. Satan has twisted rest in the human experience. Sin has wrecked rest as our way of being. We are separated from God. And so now we work, labor, strive, fear, consume, take, manipulate, worry, and war. That is our default way of being because of sin, because of satanic deception. We cannot rest as God intends. So because of this, you and I actually think of rest as secondary to our lives. We are deceived and we think that rest is supplementary to the needs of our lives. In other words, we go rest so that we can get back to work and performance. We rest for strength to strive, reversing God's order in the universe for which we were created. I like to illustrate it this way. Did you guys all watch Maverick? Great movie. Who watched Maverick? Yeah, great movie. Well done, Tom Cruise. Just good, like bad guys lose, good guy wins stuff, amazing. Fighter jets and aircraft carriers. Think of rest like this. We, because of sin, all of us live like fighter jets. We are high-octane performers. We go and we do. We fly at two times the speed of sound. We are at war. We are machines. We are rocking and rolling. And then when it's time for us to come in to land on the aircraft carrier, it is sudden and violent. It is not slow. They approach the aircraft carrier at 150 miles an hour. They stretch out these huge cables across the aircraft landing strip. These cables, uh, the plane has a hook on it, and literally the pilots aim for this thing. They kind of wobble down onto this moving thing. At 150 miles an hour, the hook grabs them, and they stop. Then you see a bunch of guys come out. There's some quick maintenance, some quick food, some quick refueling. They put them in a steam catapult that launches them in under two seconds from zero to 165, 165 miles per hour, back to fighting, back to war, back to Mach 2. That's the way that you and I think about rest. That is the way we live our lives. Go, 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 go. Urge vacation. Just kind of slam your head up against the wall. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm so exhausted from vacation. Catapult back to work. Rest for us is more of a response of collapse due to physical or spiritual or social exhaustion. Even this morning, most of you right now are already thinking about how to get catapulted back into tomorrow. You're not even here with me. Despite my getting as loud as I possibly can, you're already in the steam catapult ready to go. Rest isn't a way of being. It's just this desperate, collapsed response to our overdoing. But this will be up on the screens for you. This is the key for 
our Sabbath trainings for all that we're going to do at this church. Sabbath is at the center of this church. It's been a part of our DNA from the beginning. It'll take us all the way to Jesus. With rest at the center of our reality, Genesis 1, and rest in a loving relationship with God being the reason we exist, that slowly transforms us from fighter jets into aircraft carriers. Aircraft carriers are massive, and they are slow. They carry tons of inertia. They don't stop and go in an instant. They are immeasurably slower in their maneuvers than fighter jets. When Sabbath becomes the center of our existence, rest and slowness and steadiness actually becomes our foundation. Rest becomes the posture from which we do our work instead of striving and performance. Now, to Jesus. To Jesus. A Jewish peasant rabbi shows up on the scene in first century Rome. Under the boot of the most oppressive empire maybe ever to have existed. And he claims to be the embodiment of the God who has created everything. And his singular invitation to his people, the Jews, and to those who are not his people, the Romans and the Gentiles, was to return to rest as our way of being. Import Genesis 1 with rest and celebration and Shabbat and ceasing into the words of Matthew 11. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not slamming into the aircraft carrier, caught by the hook, slam your head up against the window, get ready to get back in the catapult, a rest that is categorically at the roots of creation. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And mind you, in the Christian way of thinking about the world, it's not just your spiritual entity that will find rest. My physical body was breaking down because my spiritual being was breaking down. We are embodied souls. So much more on this in the coming teachings. We are embodied flesh and blood and soul and spirit. You will find rest for the whole system, Jesus says, for his yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Jesus, this morning, you are invited to meet the God who created us to rest in his love. And in Jesus, we meet the God who does for us what we couldn't do. Namely, trust and surrender to the love of the Father and rest in the Father's will as good all the way to death. Jesus' death was our death. We are working ourselves to death and God came embodied in flesh saying, I will take that death upon myself. To strive is to sin. To overwork, overdo, be anxious, constantly worried, never stopping, never ceasing is to dethrone God and to sin. And the end of that is death. And Jesus said, I will come and do for you what you can't do. I will die your death as your substitute. So that right now in this room, in your seat, you for one brief moment, maybe spirit grant this grace, might cease for a second. Is this what it feels like to just be loved? He did for me what I couldn't do. He took upon himself what I have done to myself. He raised from all of this mess that I have created in my striving and doing to assure me that I am his. I can rest in God's love right now. And so the rest that Jesus restores, friends, is a rest that is eternal. Remember, the seventh day of Genesis chapter 2 doesn't have it was evening and morning. It is an eternal rest that we enter into in the classic Christian language is by faith. 
We impart our will unto God's will by surrender and by trust, by leaning the whole weight of our striving, our doing, our inabilities to stop striving and doing, our inabilities to stop worrying and being anxious. We come to God and we say, I cannot cease, but I trust Jesus's ceasing in my place all the way to his life ceasing in my place. And I rest the weight of my eternal being upon him and my physical being upon him. This is faith that brings us to rest in Jesus. And he restores us to a rest that is eternal. So that day by day, as we apprentice ourselves under Jesus, as we learn to be like him and trust him and become more like him in the power of the spirit, we stop striving to be accepted because we now know that we are forever accepted in his love. Our sense of value, we no longer have to prove ourselves to the world, which is what every single one of us are doing today. When you get up and go to work tomorrow, yes, we need to make money to care for our families, but I guarantee you underneath all of that is you proving that your existence matters to the world. But in Jesus, our sense of value is restored. We come to rest because the cross proves to us that we could work ourselves to the bone and still die. He values us so much that he would come and say, I will take your death and I will take your death forever and I will raise and conquer it. We eternally cease when we come to Jesus, truly trusting him, truly calling him Lord truly bowing and surrendering moment by moment, breath by breath to his authority. We eternally cease from performing and justifying and manipulating because God has done for us all that was needed. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Now, the author of Hebrews picks up on that big idea. Has everybody tracked? We've gotten super nerdy this morning. We've been in the book of Genesis. We've landed in some of the most famous verses of Jesus around come to me, rest. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, possibly Priscilla. There's a fun little one for us to talk about at some point. The author of Hebrews picks up on this big, big idea of Sabbath. And he says the primary responsibility for each of us as apprentices of Jesus is that we would labor to enter the rest that he's given us that we would labor to rest in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. The whole of Christian life is learning to rest, laboring to rest in God's love that we might be a people where rest is our way of being. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. The author says, There remains then a ceasing, a Sabbath rest for the soul, for the body, for the mind, for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest, that's Genesis 1, or excuse me, Genesis 2, 3, Rests also from their works that you're striving, justifying, trying to prove your value to the world. Just as God did from his, let us therefore, and this is intense Greek here, make every effort, sweat to rest, strive, work hard at being loved by God. Just meditate on what I'm saying. This isn't Yoda stuff here. It does require thought. It does require meditation. But when you really begin to think, what would it look like for me to strive to rest in God's love? You're, you're given this gateway into a whole new world. And so the command to make every effort to enter the rest of Jesus, this is where I land the plane this morning. This is where the, the weekly practice of literal physical Sabbath becomes so crucial. Literal physical Sabbath becomes so crucial. Yes, for all the theologians in the room, by faith, we now rest in Jesus. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We no longer need to take a weekly Sabbath like the Jews did to maintain our righteousness. But by the way, in the top 10, it says don't murder. And everybody's not like, well, we don't know to not, not worry about murdering anybody because Jesus took care. That's crazy. There's a reason that God has made rest at the center of the universe. And here's, here's the thing. As we trust in Jesus, 
What we do with our bodies amplifies our beliefs or forms our beliefs. I just read an article sent to me. James sent me an article just last night. I read it in the airport. As technology makes us more and more disembodied, as we become more transhuman, we try to supersede who we actually are in our limitations, in our embodiedness. As technology enables us to define who we are, even all the way down to whether our biology aligns with our expressions of male and female, we can change that through technology now. Transhumanism is, is providing technology that we're going to be able to think more and do more and, and outlive what our normal human... We are becoming disembodied. For the Christian community, the greatest challenge will be to remain embodied, to remember that it's a gift that we have limits that we have to live into. So whatever day you choose, the goal, the end goal of this is for an entire community, God's people, to be 24 hours embodying, saying today I'm going to not just collapse into the aircraft carrier, I want to be transformed into being an aircraft carrier, which means... For 24 hours, I'm going to embody my belief. I'm going to strive to believe that I'm loved, that the world will go on without my work today, that I don't need to prove my value, that the smell of that flower as I celebrate it is a gift from my good God, and I don't want to miss the million, million, million miracles he gives to me. So Sabbath is the practice of embodying deep belief from which we are living out of that eternal rest that Jesus has given to us. All good? Everybody got it? That's the primer for March. In March, we'll have curriculum, we'll have videos, we're going to have discussions around this together, we're going to talk about the challenges. I recognize Sabbath brings up in a Western productive context about a zillion questions that I did not answer in this session and have no intention of. We're going to get to it. Next week, we'll talk about cynicism, and then we're just going to settle into Ecclesiastes and the teachings of Koheleth and the mentor, our author. But for today, let's jump in.